so uh, oftentimes I start off with a little bit of a story uh, so you can get to know me just a little bit better. Uh, and for hopefully uh, it gives me an opportunity to get to know you guys a little bit better as we continue in these conversations. But, uh, and I'll start off with this. When I was younger, and I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, obviously as a young child, as a 10-year-old, as a 12-year-old, uh, I personally, I didn't have a job. I don't know about you, but I didn't have a job. Uh, and so what my, what my parents would do, especially my mom, when it, comes to, when it came to my dad's birthday or, or uh, a holiday or Father's Day, what my mom would do is she would take me to the grocery store, just a local grocery store, QFC, I remember it uh, so distinctively, and, and in the car she would give me cash, she would give me $10, and she would say, what I want you to do is I want you to go into the store and use this ten dollars uh, to buy a, a nice gift for for your dad for Father's Day for your birthday for his birthday for whatever it is. Now say, okay, I got it. My mission is to take this ten dollar bill, go into this grocery store, and, and buy something nice, nice for my dad. And, and I remember this happened many times, but there's this one. I think it was a Father's Day that I'll never forget. I take the catch. I go out and I go into the store. And as I was going, I was browsing, like, what am I going to get my dad, $10, what am I going to get my dad that would make him feel so special? And, and I was walk, as I was walking in different aisles, I walked through the deli. And, and as I was walking through the deli, I walked past, maybe your favorite, but definitely mine, corn dogs. Anybody here just love corn dogs? No? Maybe? Okay, maybe you guys are afraid to admit it. But I remember I was going through the deli and there was corn dogs and there was like this scent that was like just tempting me. And, and I was confronted with this, the, this choice. Do I use this $10 that my mom gave me to bless my dad for a special day for Father's Day? Or do I take what was given, that was actually entrusted to me to buy these corn dogs to satisfy my own cravings? And I will shamefully admit that day, for that year, I chose to buy a couple corn dogs for myself. It was, uh, but I killed two birds and one stone. But all that to say, uh, it's a little bit of a hint of how humanity works. So oftentimes, uh, we are blessed with so many resources in our lives. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about family. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about your ability to give compassion. Uh, I'm talking about uh, your love for others. There's so much that we've been blessed with. And what the story of Ezekiel is saying is that the sin of Ezekiel, the sin of God's people, is that all the blessings that we have, we hoard. We keep to ourselves when, in fact, it was a gift to us to begin with. When God's calling for God's people is that the blessings that we have are for us in order to bless others. That's the way it works. And yet, so often, our selfish cravings get in between that calling. And we see and we'll read in the story of Ezekiel, especially chapter 16, God calls out a strong sense of selfishness and ultimately greed Again, which becomes a crux of something that we can all identify with. And, and so, I don't know if you were here a, a few weeks ago when we started this sermon series, but it's important uh, by way of review uh, of the backdrop of what's happening. 
This is uh, down in the 7th century uh, BC where Israel, the nation of Israel, uh, was split into two halves, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, if you can see, was a kingdom of Israel. It was Israel. Uh, The southern kingdom was a kingdom of Judah. And in the 7th century BC, the Assyrians, neighbors to the the east, came and, and took the Israelites from the kingdom of of Israel into captivity. They took them as their own slaves. They took over the region. And at this time and place, the kingdom of Judah was safe. But lo and behold, out of their own disobedience, about 100, 150 years after the Assyrians took over the kingdom of Israel, the Babylonians then took over Assyria and everything that Assyria owned, including the northern kingdom, and at this point in case, the southern kingdom of Judah. And, and as uh, the Babylonians took uh, kingdom of Israel and Judah into captivity, into Babylon, there we find the man named Ezekiel, who was, again, destined to be a priest, who was studying to be a priest, who waited all his life to be a priest. He was training to be a priest, and yet all, this, all of a sudden, he gets taken into captivity, into Babylon, and to make matters worse, it says on his 30th year, On his 30th year, when he was 30 years old, God calls him to be not a priest, but a prophet. And the reason the age 30 is so important is because uh, in ancient Near Eastern history, uh, the Jewish way is that when you turn 30, it became the culmination of your training and your upbringing to be a priest. That on your 30th year, it was the year that you would be ordained to be a priest. And so you can imagine the sheer disappointment in Ezekiel's heart and soul when all these years he was training to be a priest and on the very year that he was supposed to be ordained, God says, you know what? You're going to be a prophet. And we talked a little bit about the reputation of prophets. Let's just put it this way. Nobody liked the prophets. The prophet's job was to be a messenger of God to God's people and say all the things that they've got wrong. That was the prophet's job. And Ezekiel was lucky enough or unfortunate enough to be called into God's ministry to be a prophet. And so God calls Ezekiel to be a prophet and he says, here's what I want you to say. I want you to say to your people, your peers, the people that you grew up with, your own family, of all the ways that you, the the group Israel, have been messing up. And we see that time and time again, all throughout Ezekiel. And so the first point we want to talk about is this covenant that was established. And so to understand how they've been messing up, we have to understand what they've been messing up in the first place. And the first we have to understand is that there was originally a covenant established between God and Israel, between God and God's people. And again, Israel was blessed to enter into this relationship. Covenant meaning this relationship with one another, making promises to one another like a marriage. If you guys have ever been to a wedding, there's exchange of vows. They enter into a covenant. And this is what God does with Israel. And God says, I will bless Israel in order for Israel to be a blessing on others. 
And we see this covenant being established all the way uh, at the beginning of time in Genesis. This was the very first covenant that God made. And God says this to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. What God is saying as we enter into this relationship to Abraham, it's not just Abraham as the individual, it's Abraham and his lineage. It's all the descendants that will come from the Abrahamic lineage. And it says, I will make you, and you can even insert, and your people, your descendants, into a great nation. And I will bless you, again, the nation. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing, and I, will, and I will bless those and curse those who curse you. It says you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing. It's a very important part of how blessings worked in the ancient Near East. And then at the end, it says all the people on earth will be blessed through you. And so that's the way blessings work. I will bless you, God says. I will bless you, but not for you to hoard your blessings. The main purpose of me blessing you, God is saying, is so then you can in turn bless others with the blessings you have received from God. From the very beginning of time, the very first covenant, the beginning of a relationship between God and Israel is its promise of love, of protection, of blessing. And what God is saying in this covenant, in this relationship, I will do these things for you in Genesis. And the only thing that I want you to give to me in return is two things. One, you shall have no other gods before me. So for those of you that are familiar with the Ten Commandments, that's the very first commandment. That you shall not have other gods before me, before Yahweh. And so there's two things I want from you, God says. You shall not have other gods before me. Uh, and second, I will bless you again so that you can bless others. That's the only thing that I want from you, God is saying, to the people of Israel. Not just in Ezekiel, but all the way from Genesis, all the way from the Abrahamic lineage. You and your people, Abraham, all I want from you, I will protect you, I will love you, I will walk alongside with you, I'll give you the blessings of everything that you ever wanted. The only thing I want from you is to have no other gods before me and to bless others with the blessings that I give you. Because if we understand this word of blessing, it's this Hebrew word, barak, okay? It's a Hebrew word, barak, and it means to bless. And this word, this Hebrew word, barak, is always, always, always tied with this idea of abundance. Literally means abundance. And so the whole imagery, the whole idea of blessing is not just this abstract word that we say in the church. It actually has a meaning to it. I'm going to be in a covenant relationship with you. I will bless you. I will protect you. I will give you all the things that you need. I will give you more than what you need. The things that you need, the things that you want, I'm not just going to give it to you, but it's going to be an overflow. I'm going to give you more than what you need. I'm going to give to you in abundance. And the idea is out of the overflow of blessings, out of the abundance that Ezekiel and the people of God, all the way from Abraham, receives, is used to give to others. Generosity, compassion. 
And in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 9, I'm just going to, I want you to stick with me. I, there's a lot of nuance, there's a lot of meaning, but I, I want to point out just one big point in all of this. And here's what God says to the people of Israel through Ezekiel. He says, Israel, I have bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put uh, sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arm and a necklace around your, ne- around your neck. And I put a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were as, uh, from fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was honey, olive oil, and the finest flour. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty because of splendor I had given to you. Beauty, perfect beauty, declares a sovereign Lord. Now, there's a lot of things that we can unpack here, but I want you to get the main idea. The main idea of what God is saying to Israel is, look at the way that I've given to you. If you want to know about the story of excess and abundance and an overflow, this is what God is trying to communicate. I've given you everything that you imagined and then some. I've given you everything that you wanted and then some. I've given you more than what you've ever asked for and then some. God is saying, I've blessed you in this is an illustration of how extravagantly I've given to you, Israel. And as I read this, and my hope as we read this collectively as a, as a community, is that I hope that when we read this, we can also beg ourselves the question of what ways has God given to us in abundance? And I bet, I, I bet if every person here did an inventory, maybe not this list, maybe it's a mental list of ways that God has given to us abundantly. Abundantly. And so many times we're distracted by negative and painful and chaotic circumstances in our lives. And I'm not here to diminish, those are real things, those are real circumstances, Uh, but I will say this, we cannot let it have the power to blind us of the abundance that God has given us. And I will also say this, with technology and social media and conversations with others, we're constantly, constantly bombarded with messages that we don't have enough. That we don't do enough, that we don't look enough, that we aren't enough. And so more than ever, more than ever in this era, I would say uh, that it's more important that we do this. We take this inventory of the ways that God has blessed, has given us in abundance. Because with that actual inventory of taking in and understanding and knowing the way that God has blessed us and given to us abundance, it's going to be very difficult for us to know that we have things and access to give away. If we don't understand that we've been blessed and that there's actually overflow of blessings within us, then we don't run from a place of generosity. We run from a place of scarcity because we don't have enough. We believe in the lies of technology, of Facebook, of Instagram, whatever it is, that we, we don't have enough. And so whatever we gain, whatever we have, whatever you know, that has been given to us, I would say blessed 
to us. We hoard, we take, because in our mind we don't understand that this, what we have, is actually an overflow. We don't understand that we actually think in a scarcity mentality that this is all that we have, and so therefore I can't give it away. And so more than now, I would say, because of all the things that are happening in the world, it's more important now than ever to take an inventory of ways that God has given to you in abundance. Do you have health? Do you have family? Do you have people that love you? Do you have people that you love? Do you have a job? Do you have food? Do you have shelter? Do you have financial wealth? Now, understand that, I understand that most of us, including myself, we wouldn't be able to check off every single one of those boxes. But I bet we can certainly check off something. Enough to know that we've been blessed, given unto with abundance. And so the question is, from out of the boxes that we've checked off, how generous, but other resources, your time, your compassion, your love, your forgiveness... How are we stewarding the overflow of God's blessings, of the abundance that God has given us? And I would say no matter what, no matter where you are in life, we have abundance. We have excess. And it's up to us to recognize what those are. I remember... uh, when I was going to, uh, where was it? I don't know where we were coming back from. We were coming back from the airport. Uh, it was actually Maria and myself. We were coming back from Copenhagen, actually. Uh, and we took an Uber back home uh, to my place from the airport. And I remember thinking, okay, I, I kind of went in and I had preconceived notions about our Uber drive. That's just a confession of mine. And, 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 a, and a confession is like, why would someone want to be an Uber driver? Okay, and, and I remember thinking, well, there must be some circumstances why this person wanted to be an Uber driver. And we would, I, was, I would ask him questions like, hey, where are you from? What, you know, what are you into? What do you enjoy? Like, uh, I, I want to get to know the driver. And, and the funny thing is when I, have you guys ever, I don't know if you guys are on Uber or use Uber, but there's like a score that they score you with. I don't know if you knew that. And my friends and I will compete with one another on who has the highest score as a rider of, of, of Ubers. And I remember, I didn't know that when I first found out, I had like, out of five, like a 4.2. And that's pretty low for just being a passenger. I have one job, to sit and to get out. That's it. And, and I remember going to my friends, I'm like, I don't know how you have a 4.8, a 5.0. I have a 4.2. I'm so nice. I talk to them the entire time. I ask them questions the entire time. I tell them about my life. I engage with them. How in the world do I have a 4.2? And maybe that's exactly why I have a 4.2. But I was getting to know our Uber driver, and he was from Mali. Uh, and... He was telling us a story about his upbringing and his life and his life here in America. And I remember thinking, man, it's kind of a hard life. But he's working hard. I mean, he's, he's an Uber driver and making money and making ends meet. And I remember we were exiting and there was a homeless person with a sign, you know, that said help in need. And to my shock, this Uber driver rolls down his window and gives I would say out of his abundance gives him money 
because he was in need. Now, I'm not saying anything about giving money. That's not what I'm encouraging. What I'm saying is this Uber driver who I prejudge, saying, oh, man, this person must have it hard. He tells me the story. And yet he gives money out of his own abundance to this homeless person. And I, my reaction was like, man, that's, that's amazing, like, I was so, you know, just kind of flabbergasted that this would happen. I was so thankful to even be a witness to that. And you'll never get, maybe you'll guess, but his response to me, and I'll never forget this. He says, you know what? Hakuna Matata. He says, Hakuna Matata. And I, you know, he was fluent in Swahili. I'm not fluent in Swahili, but I do know what that means. And maybe you do too uh, from a movie that was out or maybe another movie that's being made right now. But ultimately, and maybe you guys are going to start singing this in your head, but it means no worries, right? Akuna Matata, he says. And I wonder if that is such a lesson for us that no matter where we are in life, we become so consumed with the things that we see on the internet, with the things that we see other people have, that we become so, confi- so confused and consumed of this message of not having enough. And yet God is saying, I've blessed you. Don't worry, I have you is to bless others. And yet this is where things go wrong. This is where Israel messes up. And I will say this is where we, 2019, the church, we mess it up. Because the danger is when, and we, this happens a lot, the danger is when we worship, and maybe you've done this and I've done this, the danger is when we worship the very objects of blessing rather than the source of where it comes from. Oftentimes we worship the objects of the blessing rather than the source of where it comes from. This is a trend that we see in Israel. This is a trend that we see even today. And out of that scarcity, and out of worshiping objects, in this story, Israel immediately betrays the very first commandment. Do not have idol worship. In verse 15, uh, I'll read this to you again. This is right after God saying, look how I've blessed you. Look at the things that I've given to you. This is from me. Worship me, the giver of these things. And yet the very next verses, here's what God says. But, you know you're in trouble when you see that. But you trusted in your own beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your, your favors on anyone who passed by and your beauty became his. You took some of your garments to make gaudy high places where you carried on your prostitution, you went to him and, you, and he possessed your beauty. You also took the fine jewelry I gave you, the jewelry made of my gold and silver, uh, and you made for yourself male idols and engaged uh, idol, idolization with them. And you took your embroidered clothes to put on them, and you offered my oil and incense before them. Also, the food I provided for you, the flour, the olive oil, the honey, I gave you to eat, you offered as a fragrant incense before them. That is what happened, declares the sovereign Lord. 
And, and so here God talks about all these things that, I, that God has given, blessed, in abundance to Israel. In the very next verses, God is saying, essentially, the very things I gave you actually names the exact same things. You took it, you perverted it, and you actually used it for your own benefit your own cravings, and the very things that I gave to you, you worshipped instead of worshipping the one that blessed you with it in the first place. And we do this a lot. We see this all over. All the gifts that were given became perverted by turning their worship towards the object, not the giver. And just like a marriage, just like a relationship, what a covenant is all about, God says you betrayed it. And God uses this strong and and provocative imagery of a prostitute. God accuses Israel of that, of infidelity. Now before I go any further as, as, as Ezekiel goes on a rant about, this whole chapter is all about how Israel sold itself into prostitution that I want you to know that this is supposed to be powerful images and symbols to evoke emotion and shock, but it was never meant to be attached to a specific gender. This is not about gender. It's not even really about sexuality. Instead, it's about how repulsed the sin of infidelity and betrayal is. And we even see this imagery in the New Testament where we, the church, myself, you, me, we are the bride of Christ. And again, this is not related to gender. It's not related to sexuality. It's a symbol of the ultimate of the New Testament. If you want to understand the the intimacy, the relationship between God and God's people, look at marriage. Marriage is a symbol. The healthiest marriage is a symbol of the covenant between God and God's people. And the ultimate betrayal would be infidelity, just like any relationship, just like a marriage. The ultimate sin, the ultimate uh, hurt and pain would be infidelity. And what God is doing is using that imagery, flipping it around and said, I made a covenant with you, my people, and you cheated on me with the very things I gave to you to begin with. Your heart's turned away from me, God is saying, and turned towards the object of what I've given to you. And so I say that so you don't miss the point. And what further what we see is that as we, as the Israelites and all over the scriptures, as they're faced with trials and uncertainty and waiting, because remember, they were in exile. They didn't know what was happening at home. They didn't know what was happening to their family. They could be killed at any day. They didn't know what was happening in the midst of their chaos and their hearts. They needed something to latch onto because they felt like God was absent. And so if they can't latch on to God because they felt like God was absent, then they're going to latch on to something or somebody else. And in the story, it happened to be the very things that God gave them, the things, the objects. And I would say that this is true for us. It doesn't matter whether you call yourself a Christian, non-Christian, religious, not religious. We were wired to long for something, for someone to bring us ultimate sense of joy, peace, and hope. And oftentimes we find it in the wrong places. Hence we see the rise of addiction 
and substances because we believe that that's going to bring joy, peace, and hope. Sometimes we see that in our addiction to wealth. Maybe it's our stride to have the largest home, the nicest car, or whatever addition, material additions that we can think of. Numbers on our bank account, our retirement, whatever it is, we become addictive. We become idolizing of those things because we think that that, in the midst of chaos and uncertainty, uh, of despair, whatever it is, we latch on to that because we believe that at the end of the day, that is what's going to bring us out of that pit. Maybe it's status, upward mobility. Maybe it's a person or a relationship. And remember, most of these things outside of the substances alone are not bad things. Bless them with. The very things that were supposed to point them to their God suddenly became their God. God blesses them so they would know that God is God. And yet they took those things and it became their God. And if we get down to the nitty-gritty of all of this, it seems as if it boils down to greed. To greed, which makes sense. Again, as we talked about, this is a time of exile. The moments where things weren't going their way, when anxiety is high, when uncertainty is high, greed seeps in, scarcity seeps in. When they take on things that they believe will give them peace, joy, happiness, when the reality is it will only lead to further disappointment. And because of that, they're not able to give to others, to be generous to others. Because, again, they don't believe they have, they have a flow of generosity. They don't believe they have a flow of blessing within them. God says, I've blessed you. I've given to you in abundance so that you can give to others. But they fail. And we shift our worship to the source of our blessing, from the source of our blessing to the object. And towards the end of Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, the prophet Ezekiel says, you are like Sodom. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament Bible, uh, Sodom was a very corrupt and evil place. That was so unfaithful to God. Even, again, whether you're part of the church or not, you hear the word Sodom to be referenced regarding something evil or bad or not good or or whatever preconceived notions you have about Sodom. But Ezekiel clarifies something. He says in chapter 16, he says, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. If you want to know about the sin of Sodom, Ezekiel tells you what the sin of Sodom was. It says that they were arrogant, they were overfed, they were unconcerned, unconcerned for those around, unconcerned for the poor, the needy, the refugees, the homeless, the marginalized. That was the actual sin of Sodom. And what Ezekiel is saying is, you people, they're actually worse. See, we all worship something. It's the way we're wired from the very beginning of time. 
And to find out, I would say a good litmus test for all of us is to find out what that worship, the object of that worship is for you and for me, is what or who do you turn to during times of chaos, hurt, anxiety, or even joy? In those seasons of your life, who or what do you turn to? Because that seems to be indicative of the very things that you might worship, that I might worship. But further along, in a few verses later, it says, in Ezekiel Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 59, it says, I will deal with you as you deserve, because you have despised my oath and breaking of the covenant. Yet, in verse 6, it says, yet, I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. I love that God says, you will reap what you sow. The, the consequences that you may receive from your life is not due to my anger and my hatefulness and my violence towards you. It's actually just merely the consequences of your behavior. So, so we're, never, we're never void of those consequences, yet God says, I will not forget my end of the deal, my covenant with you. And in the midst of our fallenness and our brokenness, of our greed and our selfishness and our scarcity mentality, we can always have this chance to turn back by taking an inventory of the ways that God has blessed us. And what are the ways that God has blessed you and God has blessed me? Because until we can answer that, we will sit in our own greed and selfishness like the Israelites. And worship the very things that we have and create these things as our God, as our lifeline. When in fact, the lifeline is the one, the very one who gave us those things to begin with. It it reminds me and it harkens to this New Testament passage about uh, the story of the lost son, the prodigal son, if you will. Or many times we are the prodigal son. We have lost uh, the knowledge and the ability to see the things that God has given us. We hoard it. We use it for our own selfish cravings and our own gains. And yet God just wants us to return, to bless others. And the ultimate sacrifice that we see is through the person of Jesus. Jesus has given us So much through his life, death, and resurrection, the ability to be in relationship with God, to be forgiven, to have eternal life, to have salvation through Jesus Christ, the new Israel, the new way to salvation. And because of that alone, we all have abundance. What are we doing with that abundance? What are we doing with that abundance? And as I invite the worship team back up, I want us to just do an inventory of our own selves. What are the ways that God has blessed us? How? What do we have? If nothing, I can't think of nothing else, let me suggest to you, we all live with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's through that we have and should have unending gratitude towards. And the way that we show gratitude is to be generous to others, to give away the things that God has given us. That is what tithing is all about. What we're saying is I'm just giving back to you, God, what you've given to us.
Maybe it's your possessions. Maybe it's hospitality. I don't know what that is for you, but I know I have some serious inventory to do. May we do that collectively as a community. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for all your blessings in different ways that you've given to us in abundance. And the culmination of that is your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us. And out of that, out of that overflow, may we have the ability and the willingness to give away, to give to others, hospitality, resources, money, whatever it is. Help us to not worship the things that you've given us in the first place, but to give it away because that is why you blessed us in the first place. So give us a heart of love, of compassion, of empathy, of freedom, the things that might bog us down. May we continue in worship together. In your name we pray. Amen.